Well, welcome tonight. Hopefully you had a good day, good week so far, everybody? Busy? <laughs> so far, so good. That's the, way to, that's the way to look at it. But tonight we're going to continue our study on discipleship. And um, we've been in this series now for, uh, this will be the fifth week, fifth study. And thank you, Kai, for teaching last week. I heard it went well, and you did a great job, so that's good. Um, but we're back in the series on discipleship, and we subtitled it, Be One, Make One. And the Bible is very clear that's what we're called to do as believers. And as you open up your Bibles to Matthew 6 tonight, uh, we're going to looking continue looking at the actions and the attitudes, really, that are what we call evidences, or you could call them proofs, of true discipleship. What's it mean to be a true disciple of Christ? Because it was, remember, it was Jesus himself who said that not everyone, right, who says that they're a believer or a follower of Jesus actually is. So if Jesus said that, that must be true. And as a matter of fact, uh, Jesus said this, you'll know my disciples by their what? Fruit. By their fruit. Good. By their fruit. And spiritual fruit really is the, uh, we would say, the essential evidence that demonstrates our faith being authentic or our faith being genuine. Um, spiritual fruit is the essential. You have to have fruit. It's essential. Um, it's that essential evidence that demonstrates an authentic faith. And if you don't have the evidence, if you don't have the, the proof that's coming out of your life as a believer, uh, then you probably don't have the root that's driven down into Christ. Uh, you, you probably don't have that. And, and remember, that root that is driven down into Christ is not visible. We can't tell. Right? You can't just look at somebody and go, oh, there's a Christian. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Uh, we can judge people that way all day long, but sometimes we're wrong. Most times we're wrong, I would say. And so the evidence is the fruit on the outside. And so we've been looking at what this looks like and, and how this is fleshed out in our lives. What is this fruit? What is the evidence? What is the proof that somebody is uh, authentically, genuinely a disciple follower of Jesus Christ. And it's important because Paul told us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, we know this verse well, he tells us to what? Examine everybody else? No, he says examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. In other words, what he's saying is test, your, test yourself. Look at your heart. Look at your your motives, all this stuff we're going to look at tonight. And we should look at our own life and make sure that we are actually in the faith and we're not just going through some uh, game of church or going through the motions, uh, but we're genuinely saved. Now, now, week one, we said that disciples abide. We, we said that the disciple, true, authentic disciples of Christ, they abide in Christ, and we look at John 8. The, the next week, we looked at disciples. What do they do? They surrender. They surrender. And we looked at Luke 9. And in week 3, we said disciples serve. <laughs> disciples serve. And, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, showed us that very clearly. And the last time, two weeks ago, we looked at disciples' love. And we looked at not 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, but we looked at John 13, the love chapter of the Gospels. And it talked about the love of Christ and how important that is for us. But tonight we're going to look at another evidence, another attitude, you could say, of a, of a true disciple, and that is prayer, prayer. Disciples of Jesus pray. And you might say, well, that's a little weird because everybody prays at one time or another. Um, people who are Christians pray. People who are not Christians pray. There's prayer going on all over the place. Pretty much everybody, you could say, prays at some point in their life at some point. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Here's what sets us apart as a disciple or a follower of Christ. Um, the followers of Christ, those who follow Christ, those who have been uh, transformed by the Spirit, those who have been genuinely saved, guess what? They don't pray their own way. They don't pray their own way. They don't write their own rules. They don't choose the way they're going to pray. 
they pray the right way. And what we would say is that they pray God's way because they're taught by God's Son, which is revealed in where? God's Word. Okay, God teaches us how to pray because prayer is really a gift. God could have saved us and said, I'm never going to talk to you and you're never going to talk to me. <laughs> but you're saved. You'd never be able to address him at all. He could have done that, but he didn't. Um, it's a gift, but it's a gift that we have to understand that comes with guidelines. It comes with, you could say, boundaries even. God gives us guidelines. He says, you know what, you can't just approach me any way you want, even though you're my disciple. That's not okay. And uh, he says, I'm going to give you this gift of prayer, but the way you approach me in prayer, you're going to have to do it within these boundaries, within these guidelines. It's not just a free-for-all. And so Jesus is going to tell us here in Matthew 6, as we look at this text tonight, that there is a kind of praying, there's a type of praying that clearly is not heeded, it's not heard by God. Like I said, there's a lot of people that pray. But a lot of prayers go unheard by God. They, he doesn't answer those prayers. Not all prayer is, you could say, created equal. It's just not. There are times when people pray and God is not hearing it. He's not heeding it whatsoever. Um, and so Jesus says, you better know how to pray the right way. And guess what? His disciples do that. They do that. So true disciples, authentic disciples, disciples that are following Christ, following him, they have learned and they continue to learn to pray God's way, taught by God's Son, which is revealed in God's Word. And so you ask, well, what are these guidelines? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight. And we see them right here in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I looked at a Gallup poll this past week, and I'm not in, much into polls, but I just thought this one was interesting. It was from a few years ago, but it said 90% of Americans pray. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> like I said, now it doesn't mean they're all Christians, right? They could be praying to Buddha or something. Who knows? But 90% of Americans pray. And then it said in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, the poll, a little further down, it said only 15% of that 90% say they feel like they were heard or they got an answer from whoever they prayed. Only 15%. Um, that's pretty low. And see, the goal of prayer is what? The goal of prayer is to the ear of God. That's what we're seeking to do in prayer. It's, if, if God's not hearing what you're saying when you're praying, what's the point? Right? I mean, the goal of prayer is to here is to say petitions and adorations and everything to the ear of God. That's who we're speaking to when we pray. And so if I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and God is not listening, guess what? There's something wrong with that, clearly. But that goes on all the time. And so we want to make sure that we are coming to God within the guidelines that he set out, that he has given to us in prayer. And Jesus begins to teach us those in Matthew 6. And he says here in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. And then he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you, who's he talking to? Disciples. That's who he's talking to, the disciples. But when you, disciples, he's talking about those who follow him, those who belong to him. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. <laughs> pray then like this, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Notice when Jesus starts there in verse 5 in our text, he says, Jesus says, when you pray. That's what he says very clearly. He's talking to his disciples. Not if you pray. It's not if you pray, do it this. No, he says, when you pray. It's assumed as his disciple, you, you will be praying. You have a life of prayer. And we've lost this somewhere. We've lost it. And for disciples of Christ, prayer is not optional. It's not an option. And, and this is part of what it means to be one of his followers, one of his disciples. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I really don't know how to pray. Or I don't spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, you know, that's for other people or whatever. No, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're claiming to be a disciple of Christ, you better make time for prayer because disciples pray. Um, and it's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Okay? And notice he says here in the text, don't be like them. Don't pray like those people. It's almost like he's pointing to them. What's he saying here? What's he talking about? And, and it's important for us to understand, Jesus wants us to hear him clearly, and he wants us to hear this principle that we can actually pray the wrong way, ineffectively. Uh, do you realize you can pray all day long and pray all wrong, <laughs> all day long? And so you can pray all day long, pray all wrong all day long, and it doesn't mean a thing, not to you, not to God, not to anybody. And so you have to go to these guidelines. You have to approach God the way he says he needs to be approached. And I believe much of the problem today in our churches, and our Christian lives, when it comes to prayer, is really, it's not the amount of prayer, right? Like I said earlier, everybody prays. It's not the amount of prayer, but it's the approach of prayer. It's the approach of prayer. Um, you hear it from people all the time. Oh, I'm just praying all the time. I'm praying all the time. And I don't doubt them. They probably are praying all the time. I just wonder if we are approaching God the right way all the time when we pray. Because <laughs> if we're not, it's a waste of time. Because that is when God hears, when we approach him his way, when he heeds the prayers of his people. Well, what are those guidelines? Well, here's what Jesus says. Disciples of Jesus, first of all, they check their motives when they pray. They check their motives when they pray. That should be in, the, in your outline there. They check their motives. Have you ever stopped and checked your motive before you start praying? I, I would probably say you don't do it very often. I don't. Have you ever checked your motivation to make sure that your motives are right when you're praying? Jesus says, and when you pray, verse 5, you must not be like these hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. And so what's he doing? He wants to give us a bad example for good prayer. He wants to give us a bad example for good prayer. So we don't repeat what this hypocrite was doing. And it says there they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may what? Be seen by others. And then he says, truly, I say to you, they, they got what they're, this, what's coming to them. They got their reward. Now, a lot of people read this and they think, well, Jesus is condemning public prayer. That's not what he's doing. Clearly, he can't be doing that. Because he would have said that, hey, you know what? Just don't pray, what, in public. I forbid you to pray in public. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that at all. In fact, Jesus prayed publicly all the time in his ministry. Remember the time before the 5,000? What did he do? He prayed. Okay? Or the time when he raised Lazarus from the dead? What did he do? A group of people there? He prayed. Or even from the cross? What did he do? He prayed. He publicly prayed. And even at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the church, do you know what the circumstances were surrounding that whole thing? It was a what? It was a public prayer meeting. They were praying. There was people there. So Jesus is not condemning public prayer. He's not condemning praying in public. He's not condemning praying in the presence of other people. And people read that text and they say, oh, I can just go home and just pray in my closet. And that's all. See, here's the problem with this hypocrite that Jesus is talking about. It's pretty simple, but when you think about it, here's the problem. The problem isn't that he's 
he's praying in the presence of other people. That's not a problem for Jesus. The problem is this. He's praying with the absence of transparency. He's praying with the absence of transparency. It's not the presence of people that causes an issue here for Jesus. It's the absence of transparency. He's not being real, you could say. That's why he's called a what? A hypocrite. That's what a hypocrite is. We all know what a hypocrite is. It's, it's someone who's not what they say they are. They say they're one thing, but their practice denies what we see. They aren't what they appear to be. And so he says, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't appear to be one way and actually be another. See, the hypocrite prayed, and he prayed to be holy and humble, but guess what? He wasn't. He was far from it. He appeared to love God with all his heart as people saw him out there on the corner praying, but guess what? He didn't. He appeared to want to glorify God with all of his life, but you know what? In the end, that wasn't the case. See, he was praying in a way that he wanted to share the spiritual limelight with God. That's what he was doing. And I'm telling you, anytime you want to share God's glory, you're heading down the wrong path. You're in, you're in big trouble. Because God doesn't share his glory with anybody, period. So the problem here isn't the presence of people in praying. It's the absence of transparency. And he says, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't be like them. Don't be like that person. And so the main problem with a hypocrite isn't that he prayed in public. It's that he only prayed in public. <laughs> that was the problem. He only prayed in public. Why did he do that? And how do we know that? Well, look at what Jesus says. He says, don't be like the hypocrite. But then in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, what do you do? Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's saying, don't be like this hypocrite who the only time he prays is when people are looking at him. <laughs> Doesn't live up to it, but he, he's just get out there for the glory. He said, don't be like that. Because the hypocrite prayed in public simply for this reason. It's because it's the only place that the hypocrite could get what he was wanting. That's the only place. He had to do it in, in, in public. And you say, well, what did he want? He wanted attention. He wanted applause. He wanted adoration of men. It's funny, sometimes when you hear people pray in public or even at a prayer meeting or whatever. I remember one time I was in this prayer meeting and, and this guy, he had kind of a high voice and, you know, he was, okay, well, let's go to prayer. Our Heavenly Father. I mean, he was trying to lower his voice. And I thought, what are you doing? It was just so odd, you know, but, but people fall into that. See, you can't be alone with God and get the applause of man. It's impossible. You can't get the attention of man when you're alone with God. And so the only place that the hypocrite really wanted to pray was in public because that's what he wanted most. He wanted the applause. He wanted the attention. He wanted the affirmation of men. And so he says, don't be like that. So before you pray publicly, we should make sure that we're praying what? Privately. <laughs> because it's in those private times where we can really get the motivation right. right. We can really sort things out in our own soul. It's hard to do that when you're praying in front of 5,000 people like Jesus did. And you know, when you're on your knees in prayer, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of humility. It keeps us humble before God. And, and plus, it's, it's hard. I remember in, in college when I was very committed to having a daily devotion to prayer time. And you know, it's just it's almost legalistic in my mind. And I'd go over to this chapel. And it used to be an old Catholic church, Scott Morrow Baptist Church, where uh, David Jeremiah is now. But it was Tim LaHaye's church at the time. And it would have marble floors, and it still had kneeling rails from the Catholic Church. 
And uh, I remember occasionally I put down the kneeling rail and just kneeling rail, and it would bring back memories, you know, because I grew up in the Catholic Church. And I'd, I'd try to pray there, and, and I'd end up falling asleep. And what I had to do was I had to pray on the, put those knees on that cold <laughs> marble floor. It's hard to fall asleep when you're praying on a hard floor. It just is. And so, you know, there's a lot of, of things about the posture of prayer, not in a legalistic sense. You can pray standing, you can pray standing on your head for that matter. It doesn't matter. But sometimes I think we get too comfortable in the posture of prayer. If we're serious about praying, you know, we can't fool ourselves in prayer with God. When I'm all by myself with God, I can't fool myself and I can't fool God. He knows exactly what's going on in my heart. He knows when my mind starts to wander and I start thinking about other things when I'm trying to have a, a time of prayer with him. He sees all that. And so the priorities are set privately. So when we get in public, we have all the motivations straightened out and we're not trying to impress people or anything like that. But only the hypocrite wants the applause and the attention of men. And so he, play, he prays only in public. And what Jesus wants us to understand here is that right praying is not about the makeup of our words. It's not about the combination of words that we use when we're praying. It's, it's more about the motivation of our heart. And we get too focused on the words, frankly. Um, have you ever been asked to pray in public and you get those butterflies and you get nervous and you start, you know, parched mouth and you're thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. You know, you, you, know, you, you know, and you start thinking, what are people going to think? And you start worrying about it. And, um, and then there's other people who say, oh, I don't have that problem because I don't pray in public. Period. I never pray in public. I'm deathly afraid to pray. Well, that's just as wrong. <laughs> okay. Because we're, we're instructed to pray for each other. We're instructed to pray together as the church. Um, so the hypocrite wanted to pray publicly because he was focused on what others thought of him. That was his whole motivation. But how many of us don't want to pray publicly even though God tells us to? because we're worried about what other people are going to think. It's been the norm, normal practice in the church for centuries that the body of Christ prays together. They lift each other up in prayer. And uh, a lot of us refuse to do that because we're afraid what other people might say or what will people think or oh, what if I sound dumb when I pray or what if they're judging me or you know, maybe they pray differently or, or whatever. You know, we're too worried about what other people think. And we just have to remember we're not talking to them. Um, I told the story before about when I was a very new Christian, just months old in the Lord, and I went to college and we were in a devotion and the RA started off the prayer thing. He said, we'll go around the circle. And I came to, he prayed first and then I, I was next to him. So I guess I was supposed to pray, which I did. And I just prayed silently in my heart and nobody else prayed. And it was very awkward and I'm waiting and waiting and finally the RA goes, Steve, are you going to pray? And I'm like, well, I already did. And he goes, well, we didn't hear you. I go, well, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> and you know, as stupid as that was, everybody laughed. I was sincerely kind of ignorant. You know, I thought, well, why do you have to hear what I'm praying? I'm talking to God, not you. And see, the direction is always who? The Lord. It's the Lord. Um, that's whom our prayers are to be directed to. And he's going to show us the example is the, the, the Father. That's, you know, the direction of our prayers. But one of the things that bugs me, it's kind of a pet peeve, when, when I hear, you know, somebody writes a little note or they'll even say it to me, hey, I'll be sending prayers your way. You know, it's just like, why are you doing that? Your prayers need to be going to God, not me. God, pray to somebody who can do something about it. I can't do anything about your issues. You know, pray to God. Um, and I know what they mean. I'm saying that kind of comically. But I'm praying on your behalf to God. That's a good way to say it. Or I'm praying to God for you. Okay, that's another good way to say it. But don't say I'm sending prayers your way. That's just kind of weird. Uh, James 4.3 says this, you ask and what? You do not receive because you ask wrongly. So you can actually be in prayer and do it wrong because you want to spend it on your passions. Praying with the wrong motive. It could be selfishness. It could be materialism. It could be even jealousy. It can be evil, self-centeredness. 
Um, there's a variety of wrong motives that we could enlist when we pray. But I promise you, if you are diligent to get alone with God in this secret place, the way Jesus says, and let God deal with you, he'll root all that out. He'll, he'll deal with you on a personal basis. So then when you're praying publicly, you've already sorted all those, those kind of things out. But when we pray to a holy God with unholy motives, our prayers will go unheard, unanswered. Now, when I say unheard, it's, it's clearly God hears everything. Right. I mean, he's omniscient. Um, he's omnipotent. I mean, he knows everything. So he, he hears it. So I, maybe a better way, there's a difference between hearing and, and listening. I would say he hears it, but he doesn't listen. He's not listening to you if you approach him the wrong way. Um, he's saying, you know what, you're not approaching me the way I prescribed in my word. You know, you're just barging in here thinking you can just dump your load of goodies on me, asking me for stuff, and then leave. Uh, that's wrong motivation. And so when we approach a holy God with unholy motives, our prayers are not going to be heard, and they're not going to be heeded by the Lord. Approaching a holy God with unholy motives, it's, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like talking on a cell phone when you have no service. <laughs> I mean, the cell phone works, but you don't have any service. I mean, wouldn't that be weird? You, you see somebody talking, or who are you talking to? Well, nobody, nobody's on the other line. I don't have any service. But they just keep talking. That's how we treat our prayer lives sometimes. We just think God has to listen all the time, no matter what we say, no matter what we ask for. And see, that means we're trying to talk to God with unholy motives. There's no connection. There's no communication when there's no connection, even though you keep talking. Uh, so Jesus says we need to check our, our motives. Why are we praying for this? Why are we asking for this particular thing? Why are we down on our knees in the first place? Why, what is the motive? Are we trying to just get what we want? Are we trying to manipulate God? Or are we trying to impress others? Or are we sincerely seeking the heart of God in prayer? Sometimes we just pray to make ourselves feel more spiritual. I mean, listen, this hypocrite, he wanted to look spiritual. That's why he prayed in public only. But guess what? He was not spiritual. He, he wanted to look spiritual, not, what, be spiritual. Big difference. He wanted to appear holy, but he didn't want to be holy. I mean, we get that. It's, it's an impure motive. And so Jesus says to his disciples, check their motives when they pray. Secondly, disciples of Jesus not just check their motives, but they engage their hearts when they pray. They engage their hearts when they pray. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, meaningless stuff, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. See, back in this time, there was a lot of pagan worship going on, even in public. There were temples and all kinds of things going on. And these heathen people who worship these foreign gods, they believed that they would, the more repetitious their prayers were, the more ritualistic their prayers were, and it just continued in that fashion, um, they thought somehow they could bend the ear of their God to listen to them. It's kind of like they, they treated prayer kind of like they treated God kind of like a vending machine. You know, when you go up to a vending machine, what do you do? You look, okay, yeah, I want that candy bar. Okay, I got to hit boo-boo, put the money in and hit the, the thing, right? And the thing shoots the thing out. And if you got a bigger candy bar, you got to put a little more money in. That's how people treat prayer. Um, they treat prayer like a vending machine. Well, I'm going to ask God for this, so I'm going to have to put in a lot of time and a lot of effort in this prayer because it's a pretty big thing. And, and if I put in enough time and enough words and I do it all the right, exactly, the, then finally he'll give it to me. That's how we look at prayer sometimes. Um, now, I know and I understand that if I ask for something really big, I'm going to have to put more words in to get more power out of God. It's kind of a bargaining thing with the Lord. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, but we feel like that a lot of times. The Bible does say that petitioning God for something um, over and over and over again is not wrong. But using empty words, pray empty phrases, uh, that's meaningless. Um, you hear people all the time on, on 
on TV, some of these evangelists, you know, oh, I have prayer teams all over the country. I got all these people praying, but I need, I need some more. I need three more prayer teams. And I'm like, what? Do you think God needs these prayer teams? I mean, do you really believe that? Like God isn't big enough? If maybe just one little lady prayed for you that he couldn't answer that prayer, why does he have to have more? Now, it's not wrong to have people praying for you. I'm not saying that. But they, they, they kind of fall into this idea that if I just had more of this or more of that, somehow it will, it will be better. Um, you know, it's almost like God's up in heaven. Well, I was going to answer the prayer. You had... 687 people praying, but I needed 690. Sorry, the answer is no. I mean, that doesn't work that way. You know, it reminds me when you used to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Remember when you were a little kid and you went to Chuck E. Cheese and you got the, spent all the stupid money on these stupid tickets and you go and you get a, you know, 50 cent pencil or something. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, do you realize God doesn't need masses of people praying? He doesn't need it. He doesn't need our prayers. We think somehow he does. He doesn't. He's above that. Now, it's good to have masses of people praying. It's good to have a lot of people focusing on the Lord, their need for the Lord, humbling themselves before the Lord. I'm not saying that. But God doesn't need X amount of people praying to get something done. He's sovereign over all that. Why? Because he's not a vending machine. He's not a vending machine. If you put X amount in, you get X amount out. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that prayer is simply this. It's not just a transaction. It's a relationship. It's not just relational. It's, it, it's relational. It's not just a tr- transactional. It's, it's not just this transaction that occurs. Um, there's a relationship there. You know, when you get a, a birthday card, you know, uh, I got some recently. got opened them up and stuff. And the, the first thing you do is if somebody has written something, like my grandkids sent me a birthday card and they all signed it and Crystal and Will signed it, the first thing I read was not the cute little palm that was on the, on the card. I didn't really care. I mean, that wasn't written to me. There are millions of those cards out there, right? I mean, some professional writer thought it was cool to write this palm, and they're nice little palms, touching thoughts, whatever. But I look at a little scribble. You know, what did Gabby write? What did Mason write? Why? Because I have a relationship with them. I don't have a relationship with the guy that wrote the card, as nice as it may be. And so which one means more to you when you get a card? Obviously, it's, it's the personalized section of that card. Um, and, and, and that's what God wants. He wants that relation. He wants to hear from us. There's a lot of people who just repeat over and over and over these pretty poetic prayers thinking somehow God is up in heaven going, oh, I need this. No, no. It's almost like they're written by somebody else. Uh, He says he wants to hear our heart. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. It's it's not transactional. It's not just a transaction that happens. It's relational. It's relational. Prayer is a conversation where a person who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, has been transformed from the, the inside out, from the heart out, who knows and understands that it's by grace, it's by grace that we get to talk and communicate with the creator of the world. Think about that. That's who God is. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, he has time for me whenever I want to go to him. That, that blows my mind. And they come humbly to talk to and have a sincere, you could say, relationship, a growing relationship with the living Lord. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not just relegated to, you know, five minutes Sunday morning or whatever. No, it's, I, I, I define prayer this way. Prayer is an attitude of the heart that is completely dependent upon God. It's a continual attitude of dependence upon the Lord. That's why when Paul says, pray always without ceasing. Does he just mean you've got to be on your knees 24-7? You know, that, w- that would be crazy. No. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of dependence upon the Lord. Um, and that should be 24-7. And so it's by grace that we get to talk to the creator of, of the world. And, um, and so these disciples who sincerely want to pray to the Lord, they bring their heart sincerely. They're transparent. I mean, can you imagine having a meeting with the creator of the world and 
just being flippant about it. Hey, God, what you been up to, man? <laughs> well, I've been up there, you know, kick around the angels, make them do stuff, and, yeah, whatever. What are you up to? Yeah. It, it wouldn't go down like that. That's not our conversations with the Lord. Um, it's relational. It's relations based on a relationship. And that's why in James 5.15, one version, New American Standard, it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Avails much. The ESV says the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. What's interesting in the original language, the effective fervent, effective fervent there, it's just one word. It's just one word. It's the word that we get our, it's the Greek word that we get our word energy from. Energio. And we get our word energy. It means passion. It means intensity. And what he's saying is the intense, passionate, personal prayer of a righteous man. The one who's been redeemed. The one who's been saved. The one who understands that he has a relationship with God through Christ. That makes the difference. See, we think somehow if we're just righteous, when we pray, God has to answer. No. No. Because you can pray wrongly even as a believer. And so he's talking about this energy, this spiritual energy. He's not talking about going through the motions. Um, have you ever heard somebody pray and they use like you know, 50 cliches in their prayer? And then they just say amen. There's no emotion. There's no passion. There's nothing. Zero. That's not what God wants from us. Uh, the devil's not afraid of that kind of prayer. He'll let those prayers go on all day long. Uh, somebody said this, the weakest Christian on their knees, humbly before God, scares all of hell. And that's very true. The weakest Christian who's willing to be on their knees humbly before God, petitioning him, petitioning him in prayer, scares all of hell. Because it's done with energy. It's done with spiritual energy. Where does that energy come from? It doesn't come from us, right? It comes from where? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives that energy to us. He fills us with his power, the Bible says. I mean, can you tell the difference when you go to prayer and you're just kind of blasé about it versus when you go to prayer and you can sense, wow, this, God's in this. You know what I'm talking about. We need to have more times of prayer like that uh, rather than just, you know, hey, bless my family and bless the whole wide world and, and, and take care of my family and take care of me and take care of the whole wide world and forgive my family and forgive me and forgive the whole wide world. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's how we pray. It's ridiculous. But when your heart is in it, when, when your passion's in it, that's where the difference comes. That's when you're making that connection with the Lord. That's, that's where God wants us to be. It's not the combination of your words. It's the motivation of your heart. Don't worry about what you're saying when you're praying. Um, you, you, know, you shouldn't be worrying about what the other people in the room are thinking. You should be worrying about what God is thinking. And we need, to, we need to guard this. And we, we all do this. I do this on occasion. You're praying and, and you, you start repeating God's name like every other word because you use it as a non-word. You've heard people do that. Father God, we thank you, Father God, for this Father God meal. And Father God, we ask you. To, I mean, you wouldn't talk to anybody like that. Can you imagine? Dave, uh, how's your wife, Dave? Dave, are you going out for dinner tomorrow, Dave? Dave, would you uh, take me out to dinner with you tomorrow, Dave? Now, you'd go, what is wrong with this person? But that's how we, that's how we, because we don't think. We're not thinking when we're praying. We're too concerned about what are other people thinking? I gotta say the right words. Am I, oh my gosh. No, it's not, it's not that. It's, who cares? Who cares what other people think? What does the Lord think? It's when you bring your heart. That's what God wants. You bring your heart and you lay it on the table before Him. That little scribbled note at the bottom of the elegant card. That's what He wants to see. Disciples of Jesus check their motives, they engage their hearts when they pray, and then thirdly, they use their ears when they pray. They use their ears when they pray. We use our tongues a lot when we pray. We use our mouths a lot when we pray. God wants us to use our ears probably more than our mouths. 
Have you ever had a one-way conversation with somebody? You're trying to talk to somebody, and they just don't shut up. I mean, it's just, they don't even breathe, so you can interrupt them. You know, it's just, oh, my gosh, how does this person, you know, do this? You know, you're not going to be rushing back to say, oh, I want to talk to that person again. It's hard to be in a one-way conversation because it's really, well, there's no connection there. You're just being dumped on. You're just, you're just you know, hearing these words come out of this person's mouth. It's one way. I mean, you wonder how many times when we're praying, God is, <laughs> he can't show us anything in the word. He can't communicate to us in any way because we're just constant, you know, got to get this prayer out. Got to get it done. I got two minutes left. Not fun. Not fun at all. The most important thing in prayer isn't, isn't what I say. The most important thing in my prayers is not what I say, it's what God says to me through his word, through the spirit, through just impressing my heart through prayer. Look at what he, <clears throat> what he says in verse 8. What he says in verse 8. He says, do not be like them. Who's, who's he talking about? He's talking about the heathen. He's talking about this hypocrite. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. See, the hypocrite is focused on what he's going to say. Why? Because he's trying to impress people. He's not trying to impress God. He's trying to impress people. So he's carving out these elegant words and, you know, oh, Father, is thou greatest on high. You know, and they go through this whole thing. I've heard people actually pray this way. It's like they're praying King James language. It's like, what are you doing? You don't talk that way. Why would you pray that way? See, the heathen is focused on what he's going to say because he's got to get in all his words because he's trying to earn his favor from God. He's trying to get all this stuff in because he wants to get something back from God, and that's his relationship with God. It's transactional. It's not relationship-oriented. So he's concerned about what he's going to say. They're worried about what they are saying and what Jesus is telling us as believers, as his disciples, don't be like them. And the truth is, your father already knows what you're going to ask before you even ask. So what are you freaking out about? Don't worry about it. And then some people say, well, then what's, what's even the point of praying? If he already knows what I'm going to, why even do this? Well, we pray, we open our ears to the Lord, and we let God communicate to us through his word, through his spirit, and, and we have to you know, not have this idea of vain repetitions. Um, and that's what the heathen would do. You need to hear yourself talking to God. It's not so God can hear you. You've got to hear yourself. It's reinforcing your dependence upon the Lord. <clears throat> you're just kind of going through it, and you're, <clears throat> you're not expecting anything back when you do these vain repetitions. I remember when I was a teenager, I could say um, my prayers at night were simply this. Lord, thank you for keeping me safe today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Is in heaven, give us our daily bread and give us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us. Leave us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, for grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed thee. And I, I would finish it like within 30 seconds. And then I'd say, bless, bless my entire family. Amen. And I did that for years, years. And when I got saved and it, <clears throat> and it became personal to me, man, in my heart grew up a bitterness thinking, oh, the time I wasted. The time I wasted doing this stupid stuff that this church told me to do while other guys were out playing baseball. I was, you know, an altar boy doing some funeral or something because I thought somehow that was going to make me love more by the Lord. And see, that's not the point. The point is God doesn't need to hear you. He doesn't need to hear you. He already knows what you're going to say. We need to hear ourselves talking to the Lord, of sharing with the Lord. 
Open our ears and let God speak to us. The hypocrite wasn't expecting anything back. He wasn't listening for God to speak. He was looking at and taking the pulse of what everybody around him was thinking about his elegant, pretty prayer. That's where his heart was. And he says, that's not the way, Jesus says, that's not the way I want you to be as my followers. Don't do that. Don't be that way. So just remember, the most important part of pray, pray, praying in prayer is not what you have to say, but what God has to say to you. In Jeremiah 33, um, verse 3, the Lord says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You call to the Lord, he says, and you do it his way, he says he will answer you. Um, you know, there's, there's some people that say, oh, I'm always praying, I'm always praying. You know what, and that's, that's fine, that's a good thing. And I, I wonder how many of those people are praying and never even saying, uttering a word. You know, there's a lot of prayer that goes on that we don't hear. And that's probably the best kind of prayer, frankly. Uh, but he says, call on me and I will answer. I'm, gonna, I'm going to, the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, will speak to our hearts. And think about it. When God speaks, what happened? Think all the way back. Kai just took us through uh, the early part of Genesis. Genesis 1, God spoke. What happened? What happened when God spoke? Everything happened. Everything. I mean, everything changed. Incredibly, the whole world came into being. People were created. Dogs and cats, deers, giraffes, trees, water, everything was created by God's word. When God spoke, things happened. And now he's saying, I want to speak through my word, through the spirit to you, the same God who spoke the world into existence. When everything came alive, he says, now I'm going I'm to speak to you because you're my follower, you're my disciple. But you have to sometimes just shut up and let me talk. Let me speak to you. You don't always have to have a one-way conversation with God. Um, so when he sp speaks, he will change your world. Um, you know, he doesn't chit-chat with us, right? That's not the kind of God we have. He, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't chit-chat with us. You know, we don't sit down and ask God how his day was and those kind of things. When God speaks, you want to hear what he has to say because it will, it will change your Christian life. Um, but how many of us are, are really two bodies talking and we spend no time listening? We all do that on occasion. I heard one guy say, he goes, it's kind of like a bullfrog. And he used the illustration of a bullfrog. I thought, what, what's that? He goes, do you know when a bullfrog opens up his mouth to croak, his ears automatically close and he can't hear anything? I thought, that's an interesting fact. <laughs> so don't be like a bullfrog. Okay? I mean, how many of us, how many of us, do a lot of bullfrog talking and praying. You know, we're just we're we're just constantly croaking, croaking, croaking. We don't hear any anything. You know, that's not what God wants from other people or even from us. You know, uh, as we interact with each other. And so, I don't think God has ever stopped speaking. He speaks through His Spirit. He speaks through the Word of God. Now you're not going to hear audible voices, obviously. But I just think we stopped listening a long time ago. And we need to recreate that, that activity of listening for God's small, still voice. So they check their motives when they pray, the disciples of Jesus. They engage their hearts. They use their ears when they pray. Quickly here, they also follow their instructions when they pray. He says this in verse 9. He says, pray then like this. I mean, you can't get any more bolder than the Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is, is so important to the way we begin our prayer times. All right? Now, this prayer, we call it what? The Lord's Prayer, right? It's used as a vain repetition, unfortunately. I just did it. I prayed it quickly. That's how people pray it. Uh, it's the very thing that Jesus says, don't be like, don't use vain repetition, but 
certain churches use the Lord's Prayer as a vain repetition, thinking somehow they're going to earn God's favor. Uh, I talked to a Roman Catholic one time, and I said, you know, do you, do you pray uh, the Lord's Prayer? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus did. I said, no, he didn't. And they said, what? I go, he didn't pray it. He never prayed that prayer. And they said, that's heresy. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, that's what we call it. Jesus never called it the Lord's Prayer. He didn't call it that. You know why? Because Jesus didn't pray this prayer. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I don't think the last time I checked, Jesus has to pray for forgiveness. He didn't pray this prayer. He didn't say, forgive us our debts as we forgive them. <laughs> Jesus never prayed this prayer. He's not saying, pray this prayer because this is what I pray. He's not giving it as a prescription for prayer. He's saying, pray like this. He's giving us guidelines. He's giving us boundaries. He's giving us the, the, the on-ramp, the approach to God. He's saying, these are the things that you need to be thinking about. This is the direction in your prayer you want to go. This is how God wants you to approach him. And what does it look like? Well, first of all, that first line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, intentional adoration. Intentional adoration. How many times do you start your prayer time and you just, oh, Lord, you know, I'm so sick and I need prayer for this and I need prayer for that. It's just it's so rude. This is not what God wants from us at that point in time. He wants adoration, intentional adoration. When you start your prayer time this way, adoring God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, rather than just going into your problems and your struggles and your family and your kids and all that stuff. See, most of the time we get it wrong because we go right into the, the horizontal in our lives rather than the vertical. And, and God says, when you come to me, you need to address me first. You need to adore me first. We need, you need to focus on me, who God is, what God does, what's he capable of doing. And then, if you have any time left over, you can throw in your needs and your wants and your desires, because you know what? I already know what you're going to say anyway. See, your faith will grow when you pray like that. Your faith will grow. A lot of problems that you have and that you're praying about, what, whatever you're struggling with, if you focus on God and who he is, you don't even have to pray about those things anymore. Because you compare your problem next to the person of God that you just spent time adoring, and you're going, yeah, he's got this. <laughs> I'm going to get on with my day. Those problems get very, very, very small when you focus on the greatness and the goodness and the sovereign hand of God. But sometimes we dive right into looking at the problem and we never get away from looking at it and we never get our eyes on God. It's just fixed on the problem. And then we wonder why it's so hard to pray or why our prayers aren't being answered. Intentional adoration. Secondly, total submission. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, <laughs> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you know, prayer is meant to get my will in line with God's will. Prayer is not meant to, to make God some Santa Claus that we go to him and say, I want this, this, and this, and this. And I'm asking you for it, and you have to give it to me because I'm one of your followers, and the Bible says, no, that's the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach. Um, the Lord wants us to know what his will is. That's what prayer is. Your will be done. How is, how is his will done in heaven? Think about this. Do you ever think about in heaven, how is God's will done? Because that's how he wants it to be done here in our lives. How is it done? Well, I would say it's probably done perfectly because it's heaven. It's done joyfully. It's done specifically. It's done immediately. All of those things, and plus you could probably add things to that. And, and what he's saying is, I want my will done in your life as it is in heaven. That's what he's communicating to us here. That's where our hearts should be. Intentional adoration, total submission. And then 
Thirdly, personal provision. In verse 11, he says what? Give us this day our daily bread. That's, he's not talking about food. I mean, he is talking about food, but he's talking about so much more. Um, have you ever noticed that you got a lot of daily needs? Do you ever think about it, the needs? It's not just bread. You can probably go a week without eating bread. Not that you'd want to, but you probably could if you had to. What about your daily need for godly wisdom? What about your daily need for discernment? What about your daily need for God-sustaining grace? See, there are all kinds of daily needs that we have, daily. Needs that affect our, our spiritual lives, our relational lives, our physical lives, our mental capacities, all these things. All of those give, Lord, give us this day my daily bread. That's, that's what that means. And when you start to go into the specifics, yeah, it cracks me up when people say, yeah, I just, you know, I pray for 30, 30 seconds and I'm done. Wow, really? Yeah, I'm just kind of bored. I don't know what else to say. You start adoring God. You, you, start, you start really telling God who he is and, and all the goodness that he has and all the things that he's done for you. And then you start addressing your daily needs. Um, you won't have time in the day to pray. There's no way you could ever even run out. Um, so intentional adoration, total submission, personal provision, and then lastly here, um, or next to last, humble confession. He says in verse 12, this transparency comes out. He goes, forgive us our debts. He admits it. He's telling us, look, be real. Don't march into the, the throne room of God with some kind of <clears throat> self clothed righteousness, thinking that you know, you're, you're going to look better than anybody else. God doesn't really play that game. He doesn't care about that. You know, he, he wants to know your heart. He wants to know, are you, are you humbly, are you willing to confess your, your sins, basically? And he will forgive us our sins as we have forgiven our debtors, as we forgive others. So it's, it's one of those things that's fleshed out in our lives, right? Um, it grieves the heart of God when he hears a Christian say things like, well, you know, I'll, I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget. <laughs> That's, that's not the heart of Christ. That's not the heart of Christ. That's the heart of our flesh. And I get it. Sometimes we go through traumatic experiences, and it's very difficult to get beyond that. But you know what? That's where you go to God, and you take that to the Lord, and you say, God, heal this. Heal my mind. Heal my heart. So I'm not constantly living back here. You humbly confess that. I want to come clean before God, be transparent. I want to talk about God. Why am I praying? Am I just praying to get something from God, or am I really here to adore who he is and what he's done for me? And then, last thing here, spiritual direction. He says in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom of the power and the glory forever, one translation says. Not the ESV, but other ones do. What's he saying? He's saying, you know, prayer, pray for 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 spiritual direction. Um, we can have victory over sin, over self, over Satan, through prayer, through spending time in prayer. Why? Because spending time in prayer is having our attitude of dependence upon God just fleshed out. We're saying, hey, Lord, this isn't my party, it's yours, so you better figure this out. <laughs> you know, I'm your child, and, and I can't deal with this anymore, so here, you deal with it for me. And you put your trust and your faith in that kind of a God, and, and he will answer your prayers. He may not, not take the problem away. He doesn't always take problems away. He doesn't answer prayers the way we think he should answer them. He answers them according to his plan and according to his purpose. And so we want to get that spiritual direction from the Lord. Many of you know uh, uh, Joni Erickson Tata, right? She was 14. Um, when she was 14, she dove off, a, I think, a diving board into a pool, broke her neck, was paralyzed the rest of her life. And when she was, a couple years after this happened, she basically, um, she's a paraplegic, somebody had to care for her every waking moment, and she realized she would never, ever walk again. <clears throat> At first she thought, well, God's going to heal me, and it didn't happen. And she was stuck in this wheelchair, and not even able to wipe the drool from her mouth. I mean, it was horrible. 
And, um, and when that, all that came into being, she, she says in her testimony, I forget how old she was, she was a couple years past 14, but probably in her, her, her mid-late teens, um, she realized she would never walk again, and she asked God, she told God she wanted to die. She said, I can't go on like this. I mean, I'll never have a husband, I'll never have children. I'll never. And she went on and on and on, and just, just talked herself into this self-pity party, and she wanted to die. Um, she couldn't live, she said, when she realized other people would have to take care of her the rest of her life, and she just simply wanted to die. But you know what? God was gracious to her and moved her through that anger part of this situation. And as she moved through the anger into the desperation, as she moved through all the grief surrounding this horrific accident in her life, she prayed a prayer that changed her life completely. And I believe that prayer, that, that prayer that, that, that went to heaven from her lips came to her from heaven. And she said this. She said, Lord, if I can't die, teach me how to live. If I can't die, teach me how to live. I mean, how many of us today, beloved, that's really what we need, isn't it? That's what we need. Lord, teach us how to live. Teach us how to live as your disciple in this hostile, in this sin-stained world, in this horrible place we live in right now, this beautiful Bay Area, but it's filled with sin and evil, really. But you know what, God? You've put us here for a purpose. Teach us how to live here in, in victory over these things in, 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 in a way that would honor you. Um, I... I saw a video the other day on Fox News, and I actually recorded it with my phone, but, um, and it was a softball team, I forget where they were from, Georgia or somewhere, a girls softball team, they won the championship, college championship. And uh, they had them on Fox News, some of the players. And they said, wow, you know, how did you do this? Well, we give credit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, most of us are Christians on this team, and we realized even if we didn't win, we'd still be praising this. I mean, it was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking oh, they're going to cut this out, but they didn't. They just let it play out, and they they shared their testimonies, and they said, yeah, we have some unbelievers on our on our team, but we all know that this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for God. And and I just thought, wow, what an incredible testimony these these young girls had, you know. And the one girl went on to say, you know, they said, well, what, what goes on now? I mean, you're, you're graduating from college. And she's like, well, I'm going to get involved with Christian athletes and, and um, the, the, the organization and, and make uh, a, a strong influence for Christ in young people's lives. And uh, I'm going to be getting married in a couple weeks. And, oh, who are you getting married to? Well, my husband, he's a believer too. And we're just looking forward to doing ministry together. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he just got recruited by the Miami Dolphins. He's a football player. So again, from Iowa, I think. So it was just like, wow, you see how God is just orchestrating all this. But in the end, she said, the one and one thing, we want to live for the Lord. We want to live for Christ. And you know what? That's where our hearts belong. That's where our hearts need to be. And it comes through this life of prayer. Well, let's pray as we close tonight and ask the Lord to bless our time of, of conversation and fellowship. Father, we thank you that you have uh, taught us much uh, through this, through these uh, series of studies, and Lord, this last one is really kind of the icing on the, the cake. We get to talk to the God who created us, just to have a conversation with you and 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 to hear you speak back to us through your Word that you've given to us. What an exciting thing! You're not some God who's remote and removed from your people, but you desire to have fellowship and to have a relationship with us. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. And maybe they've examined their heart and they don't know for sure if they are your dis disciple, Lord. I pray that you would do that work in their heart as only you can and show them their need of a Savior and that they would not rest until they rest in Christ. And Lord, that you would just continue to draw them and to woo them to that point of salvation. We think of the many different people that have visited here on Wednesday night over the past several months, Lord, and some of them are not believers, and we pray for their salvation. We pray that they would remember the words that were taught here in this place, and, and Father, that you would uh, uh, cause them to desire your truth, and Lord, show them their need of a Savior. 
Lord, we think of our radio program that goes out every week. We pray that as the words are, are broadcast here in the Bay Area on Sundays at 3.30, Lord, that it would fall upon ears that are ready to hear and to obey the command to follow Christ. Lord, we thank you for the teaching ministry of this church through Kai and Ken and Dave and, and, and others, Lord. And we thank you that they're, they're willing to serve you in this way. And Lord, we pray that you would um, empower them even more and continue to allow them to make bold statements uh, for the cause of Christ. Lord, help us to realize that, yeah, this, this world is lost and dying. It's on its way to hell. But Lord, we're not. And our goal is to take as many with us to heaven as we can. And so we pray as we reach out to our neighbors, our friends at work, family members who have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ, that you would do that work in their hearts. And Lord, we thank you. Pray you bless our, our time of fellowship tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.